and welcome to this episode of Jalo the Month Club. This is your host, Diana Koch. On this episode, we are exploring our second female-fronted film as we discuss Francesco Borelli's psychological thriller, The Perfume of the Lady in Black. This film includes themes of death, sexual assault, and seclusion. My guest today is a professional tattoo artist and lover of all things retro in 1970s. Welcome to the podcast, Tristine Simmons. Hey, girl. Hi. How is it going? Good. Thanks for being here. Is this your first podcast? Oh, yes. Awesome. Very much so. I know you love horror films and you also love all things retro, but do you want to talk about your profession and your taste in movies? I'm very much in the infancy of my tattoo career. I've been tattooing for the last year and watching horror films for a lot longer than that. Um, (laughs) Thank goodness. Yeah. um, But, you know, those worlds collide a lot. You get sick of drawing the same stuff over and over, so there are only so many places you can draw inspiration from, and who doesn't like, you know, dead naked ladies and, like, goblets of blood? Well, I know recently you've been doing a lot of, like, retro, like, mushrooms and, like, little cartoon animals, and those have been really cool. Yeah, and that's definitely super 70s-inspired, like, I definitely wear bell bottoms more than I should and you know I try to show that in my work too just trying to as far as horror movies are you new to the giallo genre yes yeah so this was my first giallo film Mm -hmm. I've seen some things kind of similar to it like I've seen Suspiria which isn't you know technically giallo but it has some of the similar themes and I don't know, but it ended up being very up my alley, just with the different themes that you see. The last movie that we talked about on the podcast, All the Colors of the Dark, was very similar to this one, and I'll kind of get into the details of that, but I think that one would be even more up your alley, because it's very psychedelic. The costuming on that one is really great, too, so I think you'll really appreciate that. Yeah, I listened to the last episode, and you had me at, I think it was, like, Satanic Orgies, yeah. which is, like, five <laughs> yes. minutes in. <laughs> so I was like, okay, cool. I'll have yeah. to check this one You're out like, next. it's beautiful and has satanic orgies so Mm. there you go that's all for you exactly so have you been watching anything interesting lately honestly i get tied up with work and this is going to sound so basic but i have fallen into the black hole that is disney plus um so i'm just kind of like carving my child i watched home alone last night on disney plus so i get that yeah it's definitely it's been that and um but i will say i'm trying to get in the christmas spirit so we watched krampus last weekend and i just so fun every day yeah yeah. that's a great one i definitely i need to watch that before the year is over i don't think i've watched that in the past 12 months probably so that'd be a good one for christmas break recently i watched the joe bob briggs last drive in the red christmas which is the christmas themed marathon black christmas 1974 and jack frost from 1997 and i did not stay up for the last movie but it was silent night deadly night 2 which is like a fun slasher Mm -hmm. so i definitely recommend that if you're looking for something a little bit of everything yeah (laughs) yeah christmas themed slasher i think it's late 80s early 90s i can't really remember when that one came out but that's a definitely a fun one I recently watched this movie called Daniel Isn't Real. Have you heard of that? I think I have heard of it. So it's from this year. It's from Spectre Vision, which is the distribution company of Mandy. Did you see Mandy? Oh, good. I'm so glad you Okay, so it's Mandy, uh, the distribution company for that. Elijah Wood is like a co-owner of that company. And yeah, Daniel Isn't Real. I had been wanting to see this one for a while. I kept missing it at all the film festivals. And it's kind of like a Lovecraftian 
cosmic horror. Okay. It's about this college kid who, when he's a child, he has an imaginary friend who ends up doing something like bad, so he has to lock him away when he's a kid. Okay. So he locks his childhood imaginary friend away, and then, like, years later, he witnesses this traumatic event. His psychiatrist tells him, like, well, maybe you should unlock your imaginary friend. Maybe he could help. So he unlocks his imaginary (laughs) friend and, like, shit gets weird. And it kind of ends on a Hellraiser vibe. Like, really just body horror and outlandish. I just thought it was was really cool. So I'd recommend watching that. I watched it on Amazon. You can watch it, like, on Amazon or Vudu. Okay. And then Was I it as trippy as Mandy, or...? No. Okay. No, no. okay. no, so Mandy was gorgeous. So Mandy was, like, gorgeous and trippy, like, the entire time. Mm-hmm. This one is pretty much based in reality for, like, the first, like, two-thirds of the film. Okay. And then it ends on this very otherworldly, crazy vibe. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and it's, like, pretty short, and I think it's definitely worth a watch. I think that it has a lot of really great practical effects. I think the acting is really good. Yeah, so I really liked Daniel Isn't Real, and then I watched Sweetheart, which is another new one. You can watch it for $1 on YouTube. It's kind of a creature feature. So it's this girl, she gets stranded on an island, there's a monster that comes out at night, like a sea monster. Is it new? or is it, it is new. Okay. Yeah, it's new. It just came out maybe like a week ago on VOD, and then on Christmas it will be on Netflix. Oh, awesome. So you can watch it. <laughs> you can watch it on that. Um, but it's very simple. Is it just that. her and the monster the entire mm-hmm. time? I mean, there are some other characters, okay. but basically her. Like, she mm-hmm. leads the film. Mm-hmm. A girl, a monster, <laughs> and then it's over pretty quick, and nice. it's pretty cool. All right, so let's talk about the film that we are reviewing, which is The Perfume of the Lady in Black. I could not find a ton of information about this film. There's not really a lot online about the production or the story behind it. The synopsis is, after her mother dies, a chemist begins to have strange visions of a mysterious woman in black applying perfume in a mirror and of strangers who follow her everywhere. That's basically it. Yep. (laughs) Yep. That's what happens. It escalates. (laughs) It gets a little crazy, but yeah, more or less. And they keep, they keep switching between calling her a chemist and an industrial scientist. (laughs) Everywhere I, everywhere I'm reading this, I'm like, okay, so I guess those are the same things. Yeah. Yeah. Just lump them together. Just call her a businesswoman. Yeah. (laughs) I did read one that said, maybe she makes, it said, uh, maybe she makes chemicals, maybe she makes beer. Who knows? Something, yeah. Um, something in in that wide-ass yeah, range. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, it, it was very interesting. I thought maybe her being a scientist would have came into play a little bit more in the film. Uh, because the direction that it takes is kind of takes a little bit of a supernatural turn. So I thought it was going to be more of like a science versus religion or mm-hmm. like a faith versus fact sort of thing. Right. Have some kind of like clinical approach yeah. to trying to like rule out these different things. But yeah. No. no yeah. I just... thought there was going to be a reasoning behind her profession, but I guess that there wasn't. Nope. They just had to make her go to work and <laughs> pick <laughs> she something. needed a job. <laughs> But yeah, so the main character, her name's Sylvia, and she is a chemist, and she's troubled by strange hallucinations of her childhood and related to the murder or suicide of her mother. This is the second female-fronted film that we are discussing on Jello the Month Club. 
I really like these F. Jollo films much more than the ones where it's the man leading it. So do they generally, like, because like I said, I'm new to Jollo, so is it usually a male protagonist? It, or? it is. Okay. It is. Um, I mean, you can seek out female, the female fronted ones. They're playing the damsel in distress or something like that, and I'm not ah. totally into that. So I like the ones that are like a little bit more interesting where she's, you know, a little bit more independent or a little mm. bit more strong. But yeah, so the F Jalo or the female centric Jalo typically features a female protagonist who is embroiled in some kind of psychological storyline, and then it just eats at her fragile mental state because you know women are just fragile. I was gonna say, like you know, we get a, a strong female lead and she's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and it's the she's second. Hysterical. It's the second F Jalo film that I'm watching on the podcast, and it's the second one that goes into that realm where it's. <laughs> making her look crazy. (laughs) Oh, also, I did want to mention that there will be spoilers for the listeners. Trigger warnings. There's a rape scene, possibly two, depending on how you look at it. And then there are dead animals. There's a scene where animals are eating a dead person. So trigger warnings on that. So if you're not into any of those things, maybe skip this one. But we watched it. We did. We got through it. <laughs> um, this one was released in 1974, and it was directed by Francesco Borelli. He actually was a screenwriter prior to this for Umberto Lenzi, who is a Giallo film director. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the screenwriter for The Perfume of the Lady in Black co-wrote a film called Who Saw Her Die, which is another Giallo film. In Italy, they're just all working together and writing and directing and... Just a big family um, over Yeah, there. just a big family <laughs> of people kind of remaking American movies. <laughs> this movie is very similar to the last one that I watched, but it is way more linear besides the flashback scenes. I think sometimes the flashback scenes take you out of it because the character Sylvia is actually in those scenes. Yeah, and it seems like she's kind of having revelations in some of them. Like, she obviously didn't know all the graphic details of what had happened in her past, and then kind of seeing them unfold. Yeah. When I mentioned the rape scene, there's definitely that rape scene towards the end that is Sylvia and the man... But I wasn't sure in the beginning if her mom was indeed being raped by that man or if it was, like, consensual. I couldn't really tell because her mom was, her, like, head was upside down. So I couldn't really tell her, uh, yeah. her facial expression. But that is a possible rape scene. When the film opens, it opens up on that shot of the photograph of the family. So it's a dad, which I believe he's dressed up like a sailor. Yeah. There's the mom and then there's a little blonde girl. And that's the opening. So the whole opening credits are just over this photo. It was one of the first things that really just unsettled me about the movie, which there are uh, many to come. But in the photo, it's the father, the mother, and then a, a young girl. The father's skin is like, I mean, not to be cliche, but like ghostly white. Like yeah. he's, he's a complete four or five shades lighter than yeah. the other two family members. So just off the bat, like first two words that pop in my head is like ghost dad. So you just kind of know that we're kicking this movie off with loss or that's at least what it seems yeah. like. And then, you know, I couldn't tell if it was just the photo was really faded in that area or mm-hmm. if it was kind of like an imagery of like ghost dad Either way, it's saying his image is faded, he's not in the picture, or whatever, he's a ghost, that's why he's faded. So either way, there's some kind of symbolism there. I definitely got that from it. You know, she's thinking about herself and her childhood all the time, 
And then right after that opening, it just cuts to her as an adult, and she just finds herself just still haunted by her childhood. This film was actually shot over the course of eight weeks, which is super surprising. Uh, that is crazy. Yeah, eight <laughs> weeks. So they filmed this entire movie oh my gosh. in eight weeks. So this film is available on Amazon Video for $2. And when I watched it, it was dubbed, but it was not very noticeable. So I thought it really wasn't an issue. Yeah, it definitely... And I mean, there's so much going on that it was the last thing that I was yeah. paying attention Well, to. usually I like watching ones with subtitles because sometimes the dub is very obvious and takes me out of it. Right. But I think this one, I really couldn't even notice it. Based on the title of this film, I thought it was going to be really dark and mysterious. And I was really surprised. There was floral print everywhere and hot mm. pink, hardly any night scenes. Yeah. I kind of thought based on the title, it's going to be really dark and moody. And it wasn't, but... In typical Jalu fashion, it opens up and she's putting a little doll in her purse. A creepy doll. Being that this is your first Jalu, you don't know that creepy dolls are like a theme in this okay. genre. So they're just like kicking it off with dad's probably dead here's yeah. a creepy doll just letting you know that it's gonna get yeah you know, yeah it's crazy out of control and then 10 minutes in it mentions witchcraft and cult so she's sitting in that atrium with her friends and they say cult black magic superstition they're really just like laying it on thick <laughs> which is exactly what happened in the last film that i watched they did everything but have a chorus of drums and chanting yeah. like playing in the background while they were scaring yeah. the shit out of her yeah. and it's also like she's surrounded by these people who i mean you assume like are her friends but She's always looking at them like they're about to, like, murder her. Like, she always looks, yeah. like, so off-put by her. She never, she never looks comfortable. Well, I noticed in that really gorgeous mirror shot with the psychic, she's sitting at the booth in this, or the table, and the psychic is there, and there's all the mirrors behind her. Mm -hmm. Everyone in that scene looked so just strange and wooden, except for her. Like, everyone there just looked like a robot, and she was just there, like, existing, and you could just feel she was, like, uncomfortable, and, like, yeah. yes, she was seeing that psychic, or having her palm read. It was mm -hmm. the palm reader. She just was in this room with just these people that just seemed so strange. Right, and didn't she even say, like, no, don't yeah. want to do this. Yeah. Like, would rather They were like, not. go to your purse. Get that little doll that yeah. you put in there. Clearly uncomfortable. Let's make it ten times worse. <laughs> typical Jalu fashion she has a nosy neighbor that's he, another theme he was adorable until he wasn't there is the maybe lesbian neighbor with the killer eyeshadow in all the colors of the dark there's also <laughs> a maybe there's good eyeshadow also yes good eyeshadow in the lead actress a maybe lesbian neighbor mm -hmm. they just are like copying yeah just all these little things I don't know. I still like the movie, but just going from watching All the Colors of the Dark and then now watching Perfume of the Lady in Black, it is glaringly obvious that these films are so similar. Yeah. The neighbors kind of add, it's almost like another movie going on of like anytime they're like in this apartment complex, like there's just so many different things. Like. It's like Rosemary's Baby. Mm -hmm. like, you have the young couple, then you have the neighbors and they're just so distracting and they just take it <laughs> to a different level. The lead actress in this, I thought she was pretty great. Her name is Mimsy Farmer and she plays Sylvia. She was in Dario Argento's film Four Flies on Grey Velvet and also Lucio Fulci's The Black Cat. She overacts a little bit in The Black Cat, but she does not overact in this one. I didn't. She was subtle. That. Yeah. 
I yeah, I would say for someone yeah, yeah. who's losing their yeah. mind, she played it I think it her cool. acting was super subtle in this. And yeah. she's an American actress. Her career sort of took a little bit of a downturn, so then she went to Italy and was in a bunch of movies like this. Okay. And so that's she, where she kind of resurrected her career. Has she done other Giallo films, or this is the only kind um, of... So she did the two that I just mentioned, okay. and then I think one more, but recently she's been working with Disney as an, a sculptor. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so she was in the art department for Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. The new Beauty and the Beast, the live action Beauty and the Beast, hmm. Pirates of the Caribbean, as a sculptor. Interesting. Yeah. Not where I thought that was going to go. I love a talented lady. Yeah, multifaceted. Yeah. And she, and most of them are more recent films, so she kind of got into that late in life, which, yeah. that's impressive. Right. It was probably like a hobby she had, you know, yeah. her whole life, and then... Just some secret talent, probably, mm-hmm. and then... You know, she, like, retired from acting, and now she just works occasionally with Disney. Yeah. That's awesome. Taking over the world. (laughs) Yeah. Two other characters that I did want to mention were Roberto, who is her awful boyfriend. Terrible. And then Francesca, who is her neighbor, the awesome eyeshadow. Yes. They had an interesting friendship, I feel like. And then, like, spoiler, but poof, she's gone. So then it's like, okay, the one person you... The one ally that Sylvia thought she had the whole time is... Taken away pretty quickly. Yeah, and that's kind of a mystery because you're wondering if she is involved in sort of the ending or the direction that the ending's going in. What or did is they she say? Not... Like, how did they say that she died? What did? How did they explain? They said. It? I think they said that she had a heart issue. Okay. I think she had a weak heart or something. Am I making this up, or did they say that it happened in the tub? Didn't they say they found her in the bathtub? I might have made that up. I am not sure. Because I was taking a note when they were talking about her because they kept saying, oh, she was all alone. She was all alone. And she was a single female living in this apartment by herself. Let her live. Right. Well, she's dead. But, (laughs) you know, let her live prior to that. And they do the same thing with Sylvia. They say, oh, you're all alone. Oh, are you, you know, when the neighbor like barges in, he's like, oh, you're here all by yourself. There was something that I notice when the neighbor first goes into Sylvia's apartment, the male neighbor goes into her apartment. She's listening to Mozart. I didn't know if that had a symbolic reason behind that. I tried to look up to see if there was, like, anything about Mozart that, you know, involved him living alone, and all I could find was that he lived a very strange life. Was Um, Mozart the name of the cat? I don't know. The black cat? I might be making that up. I totally make stuff up. But I swear, I heard... the There was one scene where the the female neighbor was calling the cat, and I couldn't really put together what she said. No, I think his name... He did have a fancy name. I remember that, but I don't think that's what it was. Okay. I don't think that the male neighbor would have said anything about the black cat because I think the black cat was, like, all in her head at that point, or she was, like, reminiscing about her childhood pet black cat, which we'll get back to because... Who knows what's going on? (laughs) I'm so sick of the animal murders in these movies, (laughs) so we'll come back to that. I always note when there's a pop culture icon or something being mentioned in something because I'm like, well, what's the, yeah, I'm like, what's Mm -hmm. the reasoning behind it? But I think that one was just me analyzing something. (laughs) Just just looking for, me just looking for something to analyze. Yeah, I was really trying to crack that code. But speaking of Mozart, 
I like the music in this film. Did you want to talk more about the score? The score, as beautiful as this movie was, the score was my favorite part, which says a lot because there were rich colors, you know, it was really bold. There were animals and, you know, ghosts and plants and stuff, but (laughs) all kinds of stuff. Right, anything you could really want. But the music was just so just so unnerving so basically it would start as kind of like a slow sad lullaby Mm -hmm. which sounds kind of inherently creepy it would almost kind of relax you and then you've got these kind of jarring tones that sound so wrong and it's just the whole time you're watching this and you're just like oh my god this poor woman like what is happening to her does she know what's going on i can barely grasp what's going on And then, you know, there's these tense moments. But so the score was done by Nicola Piovani. Is that Mm -hmm. how you would say that? Yeah. Um, Piovani. Piovani. So (laughs) he is an Oscar-winning Italian light classical musician. And he's got a pretty hefty career under his belt. He Um, did uh, Life is Beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's the one he won the award for. Holocaust. (laughs) So, yeah, I was going to say, he's a little all over the place. I was kind of wondering if he stuck strictly to horror. I mean, obviously, besides, like, the classical music. But um, looking at some of the stuff that he worked on, um, it was, you know, some giallo, some just other Italian horror. And then Nunsploitation. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Forgot that existed. It's, like, 70s, 1970s Nunsploitation. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Terrible researcher. I should have put down the name. No, it's fine. I'm like, like, maybe I need to do a uh, bonus episode. I'll have you back and we do a bonus episode on non-exploitation. It's a date. (laughs) Because the poster is, oh my god, it's so good. It's like a nun with this like horrified expression on her face and her whatever nuns wear, robe, I don't know. It's like habit. Or is habit the thing on her head? I honestly would be the last person that I just know from um her guard oh uh, god back in the habit with the Whoopi Goldberg one. Oh, <laughs> that one that's gonna drive me nuts sister act there you go sister act too back in the habit there you go I'm mean, lying awake in bed trying to remember what that was yeah. okay I'm glad we resolved that but yeah she's just got her, her it's just all bust open oh, titties okay. out bust, yeah. okay yeah so it seems like a good time so I definitely you oh know, my gosh that could yes. be a little loose fit episode I love that alright so he did that so he clearly likes to have fun yeah it probably doesn't take himself too seriously but what do I know? But yeah, the score, it just kind of starts innocent, which, you know, it just contributes that much more to this poor woman's spiral. So what stood out to me at first in comparison was John Carpenter's Halloween. I don't know. It's just one of those entrancing. Yeah, it's it's pretty but terrifying at the same time. Yeah, I get that. I appreciated the music in this one because it was very grounded. Sometimes Jallo seems to be a little bit more synth and doesn't necessarily seem realistic or in the moment it's music over top of what's happening. This one I felt really at it. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think if the score had not been done by the same person that the movie would not have been nearly as horrifying because it really just makes you... I mean, you can watch someone go crazy, but then to kind of 
be so disarmed and unnerved and just anxious like the whole time you just there's really nothing for you to grasp onto in this movie that's gonna give you any sort of like solid foundation everything is just changing and getting more and more horrific and then you've got this beautiful but gruesome music to accompany yeah. it and it just oh, it did so much for me that was like, I heard a lot of people really like the score for this one like I don't think I have the ear for a lot of music mm-hmm. like it kind of is a afterthought for me so I'm really interested when people like a score for something I like love hearing their reasoning for because then I go back upon second watch then Mm. I can really take it in like what they're appreciating I really like the cinematography in this you did mention the vibrant colors I loved it I was obsessed with all the rooms or Mm -hmm. blue in the apartments I love that the floral wallpaper the hot pink and the purple there was floral clothes her Love purple that. dress. Oh my gosh. With, just, which was, it had what, like jaguars printed on it? So cool. Some kind of jungle cat. So the director's vision stems from his fine art background, both within his family and then his immediate skills as a well-known painter. Yeah. So he's an artist. I read that and that's one of those things where like everybody should have to do a little research after they watch a movie because it just makes so, so much sense because the movie felt like a painting come yeah. to life, which... It literally was. It was. So one of the scenes in the very beginning when Sylvia walks into the dark room and it's all red, I just thought that was so gorgeous and I could not find a good picture of that online. And I'm going to have to just rewatch it again and somehow like figure out how to get it from like my TV like on Instagram because I love that scene. She just walked in and just everything was black and red and Mm -hmm. it looked like a painting. And then you have like the scenes later on in the film where a lot of shadows. Okay. So... When she was sitting at her table in her apartment after she bought that phallic vase. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was trying to say something. <laughs> but there was that very phallic vase. Yeah. And she was sitting there and the shadows from, I guess, the blinds on the windows going across her face. Like, I love the use of the shadows there. There was the scene where it was a little bit further towards the end where it was lightning, just light up the whole room. Mm -hmm. I thought that the way the director used light was really cool. There were like flashing signs. Mm -hmm. And then again, the use of the mirrors, that palm reading scene. Yeah. I loved that. Yeah. The one scene that really stuck out to me was when, again, it's hard to say if she was hallucinating or just kind of remembering something that she actually did see but she's watching her mother maybe be assaulted maybe just having Mm -hmm. rough sex that she doesn't really seem super into and then the male character approaches her essentially you know kind of gets in her face and threatens her and she reverts back to her childhood self in her childhood bedroom when she goes to stab Mm -hmm. him and then snaps right back and it's just this super quick but really well done. That's how, you know, people with past trauma experience that thing. You know, it takes them yeah. back to the moment and it was just it was just so well done. Yeah, I agree. This director really hasn't done many films and that's a shame because he has such a good vision and his style is exactly what I look for in films. Like, yes, the plot might be a little bit repetitive, but that mm-hmm. also could be because I just watched the movie very similar to it. But his vision, I thought that it was all super impressive. Yeah, only four movies, right? Yeah, four, and then he was a screenwriter for yeah. a few. That's that's super impressive. Yeah, Definitely. I need to look him up and see what he's doing. He's sculpting for Disney. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, she's a sculptor. He's an artist. They could do a collaboration. That would be so fun. Yeah, scare the shit out of everybody. <laughs> <laughs>
So we just skip sort of to the ending on this one. Spoiler alert for everyone. There is no black gloved killer. This is more of a psychological horror. Very similar to Roman Polanski's Repulsion, Rosemary's Baby. I bring up Rosemary's Baby in every single episode. Somehow. Yeah, it comes up. (laughs) It comes up. I don't just love that. One of those staples. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so there's no black glove killer. Well, yeah, it was more psychological. There were only five deaths total, not counting the black cat that gets killed. Mm. Which makes me sad. (laughs) I have two black cats, and I wrote a note when the black cat was first on the screen, I said, OMG, black cat in all caps. And then a few minutes later, I said, ugh, fuck this movie. In a no nutshell. More. Don't do it. Just no more. It's been done. Not that we're advocating for them to kill any other kind of animal, just, but just stop killing animals. Like, you know? Yeah, I may need to just put it out into the ether, like, hey guys, the next time you suggest a movie, can you tell me if an animal dies? That's fair. That's like, more than fair. Yeah, I, I think in every film that I've reviewed so far, an animal has died, and I just kind of want something a little bit different. And this one really hit home, because, you know, I have my two boys, and I would never want to subject them to that. Yeah. So this movie is about 100 minutes long and five deaths total, three on screen. So that is not that many at all. And the three that are technically on screen may not even be real. Right. And I think that was one of my favorite things about this movie is that it wasn't overly gory, but it was still extremely violent and Mm -hmm. just as horrifying. Um, And it's an hour before someone dies and it's the neighbor Francesca. So she's not relevant, really. She's just a supporting character and she gets killed off. It's an off-screen death. And then you have the death of the mother. So it's a flashback scene. And then you are told that Sylvia as a child pushed her mother off the balcony. I'm guessing it's because her mother was either cheating on her dad or moving on from her dad and having sex with that sweaty guy. Sylvia wasn't trying to have that happen. So she pushed her mother off the balcony. That's how I read that. Yeah. Is that she was like, oh, she's kind of maybe a daddy's girl and hated her mom. Yeah, it just, the whole time, like, from the very beginning of her life was just loss. And so who's to say, you know, what kind of mental state she was in and then... Yeah, and she might have thought that her mom was to blame for her dad leaving. Yeah. So maybe she took it rough and that's what happened. Yeah, and all the sex in this movie is so... it's really gross like I'm so glad you called that guy sweaty because like sweaty was like his defining characteristic but that's like so intentional so you know for her to equate sex with violence and you know there's just there's so much wrapped up in that and we don't even know what's real so you know and the sex scene that Sylvia has with her boyfriend is just not pleasing they're like going on it crooked yeah it's (laughs) so crooked it's just like it doesn't even look like stuff's lining up and they're like going different directions it just did not look good (laughs) well he was the worst he sucked he was horrible that was one of the first things i hated about that guy was when he gave her crap for wanting to go to work yeah yeah so there was a slight hint of feminism in that and i kind of wish it went somewhere but that was like the only aspect of feminism in that is that she chooses to go to work over going out with him and he's just like fine yeah (laughs) but also why would she want to hang out with him if he's mean to her yeah it seems like she's selling herself on 
trying to fit this mold. Being around these people who are supposed to be her friends, but they make her feel so terrified all the time. And that's the vibe that I got, is that she would rather be alone. I felt that she was really trying to put herself out there, but the people around her just didn't have good intentions. Yeah, and it seems like she even knew, like, deep down, like, her gut was telling her that these people were not her friends. They did not have her best interest in mind, but she just kind of kept going through the motions because that's all she really knew or knew how to do. Well, she takes that trip back to her childhood home, and that triggers a lot of stuff. I think that was, like, her turning point. She goes to her childhood home. After a bunch of weird shit happens, like someone mails her the cremated remains of her neighbor. Someone killed that cat. And she like went to the taxidermy and she sees the sweaty man, you know, however many years, 20 years later, she visits her childhood home. So it's like all of this very traumatizing stuff just like happening. And then she gets raped by a sweaty guy at her childhood home. Right. Bashes him in the head. So did she... Did she imagine it? Was it real? Do we know anything about what actually happened in this movie? It could have been a figment of her imagination. I I think that it was, you know, from her perspective, she goes to her childhood home. This guy raped her. Oh, yeah, because she definitely Um, saw him in the taxidermy store. Yeah. Yeah, so that that was just one of those other things that the And the other employee at the taxidermy place was talking to him so it wasn't like he wasn't real like he was a real person right it just triggered her and yeah it definitely triggered her and then she bashed his head in with a brick tight so first murder (laughs) it's definitely tight (laughs) and then she and then this is her, her turning point so then she goes home puts on oh my gosh we didn't even talk about her seeing her mom in the mirror or the perfume, the perfume lady. Oh. So she keeps having visions of herself as a child to the little blonde girl, which she doesn't really till the end, like, give into the fact that, yes, that's her as a child. She's just like, oh, this is this neighborhood girl. She sees a lady in black who is, I guess, the perfume of the lady in black. So the title character right. from this film, which is her mom. And she keeps seeing her. So she keeps seeing this brunette lady. After Sylvia is raped, bashes the head in, she changes into this black dress, which is the black dress that she sees her mom wear. Right. So at that point, that's when you're like, oh, that's her mom. Right, 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 right. And so she puts on the dress and then she switches. Like her personality kind of switches. She's like a little aggressive, I guess. I mean, obviously she just killed a person, so she's a bit more yeah. aggressive. <laughs> yeah. First she goes to the neighbor's house, the nosy neighbor hippo lover. Right. Hatchet to the head while he was painting a hippo. Yeah, which I of just course. feel like I of need course. to sprinkle that in there because when you're painting your hippo figurines, it's the last thing you would want. So to did happen. you not do any research on the symbolism behind hippos? I did not, but I was super confused because I remember the picture that the guy had that he showed her that he took at the zoo, mm-hmm. and the whole time I'm like, "There's got to be something." Something, mm-hmm. yeah. Maybe the symbolism behind the hippos, I did not look into it, but I'm thinking I should have, is they look innocent. They just have that look where they don't really look that aggressive. Mm -hmm. But apparently they're really aggressive. Oh, they kill so many. So maybe that's the thing is like, maybe she's a hippo. That's honestly probably spot on because yeah yeah, they look like fat and not menacing at all and yeah they kill a bunch of people so she takes a hatchet hits the neighbor in the back of the head with it he's dead Mm -hmm. that's the same guy that was feeding the body parts to the cats earlier so fuck that guy third death 
boyfriend, she invites the boyfriend over and she's like flirting with him, but it's really weird because she was kind of mousy in the beginning and like not super into him as we mentioned. Like they were having awkward, like mm-hmm. uneven body part things. Mm-hmm. And Cleaver to the back and then he dies on the floor. Dies in quotes. You can't see this listeners, but quotes. Dies on the floor and then she goes up to the roof. She's standing by the edge of the roof, which why? I don't know. And then her childhood self runs over and pushes her off very similar to how she pushed her mother off just bringing it home yeah so we could count that as a a death scene as well so i guess four on-screen deaths the director said that the idea for this film was not to make a gut-crunching cannibal zombie film but to depict a world that chooses you stalks you makes you crazy then eats you that is the most accurate thing I've heard in a while. Literally. It's literally. So after Sylvia jumps off of the roof, there's this very strange and out of nowhere cut to an underground tunnel. Then you see her on um, like a slab of rock with a bunch of people standing around her. And then in you cloaks. See, in cloaks. In cloaks. In cloaks. ominous. You see the faces of the people and you see rapey old guy that apparently got his head bashed in with a brick Mm. you see hippo neighbor it's like at the end of snl where every single cast member comes out (laughs) even like the celebrities that do the cameo like every person you've seen just comes together for this final scene to bring it home yep it's awesome the boyfriend was there the psychic was there Mm -hmm. the old lady neighbor that had the black cat that we can't remember the cat's name so which is why you air quoted that so we know that she didn't actually murder those people. It was just, mm-hmm. she went full cuckoo bananas. Yeah, she was crazy. We talked about this before we record it. I was thinking that this group of people did some sort of like blood ritual, took her blood, did some kind of voodoo stuff with it. Her blood from when she pricked her finger on the tennis racket. Yeah, that was definitely, I'm glad that stuck out to both of us. Like our sensors went up and we were like, that's fishy. You know, somebody yeah. did that on purpose. I was wondering like, did they put kind of, some kind of spell on her and make her have these visions? Did that lead to her eventually killing herself? Or was it she was that far off? But I think since the end was so jarring and kind of out of nowhere, like mm-hmm. that caught had to have their fingers in right in it from, by that from the beginning scene, by yeah. the ending yeah. so i'm thinking that's probably what happened they did some kind of like blood magic some kind of ritual you know we're making her go crazy yeah. you know they like cut those beautiful flowers that she got and mailed her cremated ashes and they were like doing stuff to yeah. mess with her so i would not just suck someone's finger for nothing oh, there's a motive oh, <laughs> all right so let's get into the theme of this film The theme that stuck out to both of us was isolation, seclusion, being alone. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, just not having any, any part of reality make sense to you. You know, like we've talked about her terrible boyfriend. She has zero parents. It's just, it's... She lives alone. She lives alone, and everybody keeps criticizing her for it, which, you know... Good for her. Right. She has a job. Right. She has a great wardrobe. Right. She lives alone. She does need to get rid of her shitty boyfriend. She does. Um, But but other than that, she, like, mostly has it together, but she definitely has a fragile mental state, so that's where they got her. And it's definitely those things... Had she not started her life off with having no one and had some kind of family, I don't think that, 
you know, it would have played out the way that it did. I think she would have at least had somebody to turn to and be like, am I going crazy? And they could have been like, yeah, you know, but this was just her entire world was spinning because none of it made sense to her. None of it was hers. I think that opening with her, the picture of her as a child, is just really just symbolic and just speaks volumes upon how she grew up. You know, she grew up and it was her. She was an only child and her parents weren't there. Yeah, her ghost, she was, what, like, seven or eight? Yeah, she And that was the time when she killed her mom, so, you know, from there, like, who's to say what happened to her? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, The director did speak to a few psychologists to research the premise of this film, so he did do some research. When he co-wrote this film, that was about Sylvia isolating herself from the outside world, and how everyone, like, her boyfriend and her neighbors just turn against her. Right, because she's at least spending time with them in the beginning of the movie. Like, one of the first scenes where she's interacting with people is when she's in that garden with her shitty boyfriend and his friends. And then it just kind of seems like as the movie goes on, it's scenes with her Mm -hmm. and apparitions that she's, you know, There was the scene where the boyfriend was, like, hanging out with those people. When they were, like, in the car. That was weird. Yeah. Which was kind of... Should have been obvious, like, he was doing something weird. Yeah. Like, they were leading to, oh, he was being secretive and trying to deceive her, but then just, like, getting in a car with her friend or yeah. his friends and not, you know, not really yeah, elaborating yeah. on that. But he was just nefarious from the start. He was just up to no good. I know. That's another theme with Jalo. It's just, like, not good boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> but this one was way worse than All the Colors of the Dark. He was pushy and this one was just, like, terrible person. With the theme of isolation, I did want to note that isolation is confused with other forms of loneliness, such as alienation and just being alone. But the condition of being isolated requires that one be detached from others through reasons not of one's control. I mean, she did push her mom off the balcony. Right. But her dad probably leaving may not have been her fault. So isolation is typically, it can lead to emotional problems and difficulty in relationships. And then being isolated can challenge our basic human needs and call into question the meaning of our lives. If she actually did, you know, push her mom off the roof, then she was probably crazy back then too. So, you know, that doesn't really seem like a conscious decision a child could make. It Mm -hmm. seems like something that would just happen out of like a quick reaction from trauma. So it just didn't really seem like she was in control of anything at all the entire, her entire life. You notice that she's so innocent looking right off the bat. She has, like, the face of, like, a baby angel, Mm. not wearing a bunch (laughs) of heavy makeup, just short blonde hair, just so innocent. Always has, you know, that, like, doughy look on her face of just, you know, innocence personified. Yeah, wide-eyed innocence. Yeah. Yeah, on the emotional side, isolation is associated with disturbed sleep and thoughts of suicide or actual suicide. Her whole life, pretty much. Exactly. Yeah. Not being able to deal. This theme is subtle. I think it's subtle, but it's obvious. Like, I think it's, like, very subtly done and, like, woven throughout the story. Mm -hmm. Like, we can think of very, like, specific examples, but it was never, like... Super clear. Super clear, Except for when the neighbor's like, she's all alone. Yeah. Oh, all alone. And that was just to make... For to, anybody who didn't get it, to, to get really it. see yes, all the Yes, exactly. You know, some people need that, I guess. It was definitely, like, throughout the whole movie, you're just kind of asking questions and, mm-hmm. like, wondering what's real and what's not. And then it was towards the end where I was just like, wow, she had no one. <laughs> like, yeah. she had nobody to turn to. 
She did have a giant apartment though. Oh, I actually. The specific note that I wrote down was giant apartment. Why? <laughs> like, why is your apartment so big? Is she small? <laughs> I actually, I read that the director did that on purpose. The director actually used a wide angle lens and high angles to exaggerate the space in the apartment. So he made it look bigger on oh purpose. Oh my God. I love that. He's confusing you <laughs> on he purpose. He did it. Yep. He made me think it was bigger than it actually was, but it still was, like, seven rooms. <laughs> it seemed like it was filmed from the perspective of the cat. Like, it's, yeah. like, it just yeah. seemed giant. Well, there's that gorgeous shot once she, oh God, sad, after she finds the black cat or, you know, the little girl finds it or whatever, brings it to her, and there's that, like, overhead shot of, like, the entire bedroom, grown-up Sylvia and child Sylvia sitting on the bed. The room just looks huge, and it's kind of... Kind of reminded me like a little bit of like Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. Like, and I got that vibe once she gave into the fact that this little girl was going to be in her life. It really like gave me like kind of like a fairy tale vibe, but it didn't last long because then she just like murdered people and then yeah, know, died. it was short lived. The big apartment definitely contributed to the isolation that much more because she's just overwhelmed by she's a tiny empty person space. in a big house. Yeah. yeah. So I found this little bit of research that the California Institute of Technology did about brain mechanisms behind the negative effects of long-term social isolation led to a broad array of changes in mice. This included increased aggressiveness towards unfamiliar mice, persistent fear, and hypersensitivity to threatening stimuli. So basically they put mice alone in a cage for 24 hours and then had them interact with other mice. They watched what happened. They were aggressive. They were jumpy. Flashing lights or any kind of light or noise was making them react more. Okay. Where if there was a mouse that was in two hours alone and then put in that same circumstance, it was just like a normal reaction. So it's basically driving the mice crazy. Which is sad, but it was just looking into, you know, the reaction of your brain. Right, right. Yeah. Within mammals. Yeah. That's horrific. And it's just, especially, like, if we're looking at all that traumatic stuff that happened when she was young, those are those fundamental years Mm -hmm. where, like, your brain is developing. Yeah. Well, and I don't know much about mice, but if that kind of reaction is happening, like, within a 24-hour span, then imagine years, you know, from her being, like, seven years old to probably, like, 27 years old. Right. 20 years of her staying to herself. Right. Just a cesspool of paranoia at that point. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, and she had physical isolation within, you know, that giant apartment and then emotional isolation because she didn't really seem to have, like, many friends and the people Mm -hmm. around her were bad. At one point, and this was, like, a substantial chunk of the movie, it seemed like the only person she thought that she could trust or confide in was herself as a ghost yeah yeah, yeah yeah so it's like my god like first of all she's nuts and second of all she's you know lonely side note can we get a female lead who's not crazy i'm gonna look into it i will look into it and i will let you know listeners send me suggestions hysteria just looks so good on camera yeah it does it does it's look good, good i mean that's why it's like final girls like mm-hmm. that's just what people like So since we are doing a theme of isolation or seclusion, so do you have any recommendations of what you think would be a good pairing? Um, yeah. So my recommendation, I'm going to go with Lords of Salem. It's a Rob Zombie film, but it also kind of teeters on the line of Jallo in that it's um, suspenseful. It's got a mystery element to it. 
it's not similar to this film in that we've got like voodoo and black magic. It just, it kind of has a a lonely woman kind of as the protagonist, but there are similar parallels in that she's independent and she's just kind of trying to piece together, you know, what's going on in her life and the music. So basically, yeah, if you haven't seen the movie, it's, she's just a, a DJ and somebody sends in this like horrifically haunting record and she plays it on the air and it just all these spooky things happen the record that they play is just so it sounds like a creaky old ship rocking or something it's just it sounds inhuman almost and it's just the music i don't know i wonder if it was rob zombie but i'm not sure (laughs) and that one it's just it's such a good watch and for anybody like myself who's you know not super familiar with the genre it's kind of like a nice little way to get your feet wet yeah i mean i think with these pairings like repulsion like i mentioned and rosemary's Mm -hmm. baby like those are like almost the same film as this so like i don't really think that if you're pairing something it doesn't necessarily have to be like the same but i think the underlying theme definitely is similar with that one yeah and if you appreciate the music in this film the way that I did, I feel like you would have a similar appreciation for that movie. And it's done in a different way. So, you know, it's just kind of a different experience. My first one is Personal Shopper from 2016. It is a very slow burn film that stars Kristen Stewart as an American personal shopper (laughs) uh, in Paris. So she is in Paris alone with her brother. Her brother ends up passing away so then she is very alone and she kind of played that doesn't play herself but she you know you can imagine like Kristen Stewart like being quiet and to herself and that's how her character is like she goes to work and kind of like exists is that Bella I'm sorry (laughs) okay I'm like picturing the face and I'm like really 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 hoping that's who you're talking about Bella from Twilight guys (laughs) yes it is Bella from Twilight I love Kristen Stewart okay I did not mean to do you like that (laughs) I don't love Twilight but I really like Kristen Stewart as an actress I did not mean shade with that that was just like the one name that I did have but now I know her real name Um, so Personal Shopper is actually a Criterion Collection film and that's more of like acclaimed really like well done films or like criterion collection so Mm -hmm. it's won awards and or was like at least nominated for awards Mm -hmm. it is very slow but she is really good in it she has a great aura about her she's very alone in this film and she plays a bit of a medium so she's trying to communicate like with her dead brother okay throughout the film so she's like communicating with the dead like via text message which is like not the most exciting But everything else in that film is really beautiful and the clothes Mm -hmm. are great. I thought that it was very similar to this film because clothes in this film were great as well. Sylvia's character wears a lot of white in the beginning and then when she takes that turn over to her like darker side, she wears that black dress. Personal Shopper kind of has that same same vibe. Gotcha. The wardrobe fits the mood of what's going on. And I like that. I mean, I love when fashion is brought into film like that. Mm-hmm. Um, another film that I had was The Virgin Suicides from 1999. It's Sofia Coppola. That's another Criterion Collection film. I'm now realizing all of my picks are Criterion Collection. I did, not do that. I did not do that on purpose, but I'm like, oh, now that I looked at my list, I'm like, oh, I think they're all on Criterion Collection. 
Yes, yeah, so Virgin Suicides, it's about a family with all daughters, and they all are kept in the house, and they're all very alone. Like, they have each other, but they're very alone, and the title kind of explains, like, what happens. A great film about a hard topic, yes, I think, but it's yeah. very well made. Um, and my third one is Mulholland Drive by David Lynch from 2001. That one is a little bit more about a fractured psyche, in typical David Lynch fashion. It's weird, and it takes a turn about, you know, halfway, two-thirds. The lead character is totally suffering from some kind of mental illness. It's a long one, yeah, but it's good. Mulholland Drive by David Lynch. Those are my three flavors of the month, and I think that all of them would go well with the perfume of the Lady in Black. I don't think that any of them are exact replicas, but I think that if you're looking for, like, a sad evening about mental illness... There you go. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be brought back down. Yeah. If you've been feeling good lately and just yeah. need a gentle tug back down to earth. If you're feeling too good about yeah, yourself. We will ruin your day. <laughs> so, Tristine, thank you so much for being here. This has been so fun. Yeah. Do you have anything to plug? Where can my listeners find you? So, if you want to find me on Instagram, my tattoo page is Tristine Tattoos. It's T-R-I-S-T-I-N-E tattoos and if you're in the dmv um definitely stop by i work for red octopus tattoos and yeah just give me a follow if you like tattoos if you don't like tattoos and you just like <laughs> ignore scary it scary movies and art <laughs> you can follow me or, yeah. yeah you know yeah paint your dogs i'll um yeah tattoo and you love animals and... too i did yeah. not mention that you are a huge advocate yeah like fostering and rescuing so the, the so next one that we watch i will avoid animal deaths well we're watching a nun's flirtation <laughs> but you never know you never know we have to check yeah, i'm sure there's fine. a website that's you know lists what kind of deaths there are in a movie yes yes um, ever i'll make sure this yeah my list of movies to watch is growing so thank yeah. you you're welcome <laughs> so for me i am doing something kind of scary and kind of fun in january there is something called polar bear plunge no. It's on behalf of the Special Olympics Maryland. In Maryland, we have this bay called the Chesapeake Bay. And in January, it is freezing cold. But in order to raise money, myself and a few hundred people jump into the bay in January. Despite the odds. Yeah, despite, <laughs> despite me not loving that idea i'm doing it for charity so i am raising money in support of the special olympics maryland and all donations go towards athletic and leadership programs for special olympics athletes i will post the link in this episode so if you would like to donate five ten dollars i have till january to raise money and i'm hoping to get a lot of donations and raise a lot of money for special olympics maryland i love it i love how you already look cold (laughs) I'm just I'm like, I felt a little tense for that one. I'm like, but every time I explain it, I'm like, yeah, I feel cold. And now that you've said it on the podcast, it's it's real. I have to do it. I've already raised $100 out of my $500 goal. Hell yeah. So $100, I can't go back now. I'm in it. Right. Um, (laughs) Other fun stuff that I have, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Jollo Club. 
You can follow myself, Diana, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at DianaNK. Our logo design is by Vegan Patches on Instagram. You can find Matt's Etsy shop at Retirement Fund. The theme music is by Dream Division. You can find Dream Division's music on Instagram at Dream Division Music and on Bandcamp at DreamDivision.Bandcamp.com. Thank you so much for being here again. Thank you. Nunsploitation, coming soon. Yeah. Uh, 2020. 2020. <laughs> Look for it. We're doing it. It's on the podcast. It's like the my Special Olympics polar bear plunge. It's on the podcast. It's got to happen now. Exactly. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for being here, and I hope you come back soon. Until then, I'm Diana. I'm Justine. And this has been Jello the Month Club. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.